Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Steve, and you're listening to 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar, buying, selling, trading, fixing, modding, breaking, reviewing, playing. <laughs> nice job, idiot. <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> I just banged this, uh, this super nice glass into the mic stand. It had a really sweet bell tone it to did. it, actually. I was, I'm really glad it didn't break. <laughs> This is one of those really nice glasses that uh, that the guys sent us. Yeah. We've been drinking all of these every week. Pretty much. Yeah, because we've been drinking a lot of dark beers. Yeah. This is the Stone Smoked Porter uh, Vanilla, right? Yes. Yeah, it's good. I like it's it. It's their, their like, winter variation this year, I guess. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, I've, I had their chili whatever one during the summer. I like their chili one, but it has the, uh, like... Is it the one that has Serrano's or the one that has Chipotle? Um, I mean, they're both good. I had the one with Chipotle. Gotcha, gotcha. I really like the Serrano one. I don't think I've had it. Yeah. We got straight into beer talk right away, I didn't know. we? It's Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Steve. Welcome to 2015. Yeah. Do we want to do like a the thing like that other podcast we listened to where they come up with a, a phrase for 2015? Oh, my gosh. 2015. <laughs> Welcome to 2015. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. <laughs> Great. Did you have a happy New Year? Have a yeah. happy holidays. Been been busy. Yeah, you had a baby. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty uh, pretty time consuming. So uh, I sleep on the couch a lot. Oh yeah, because like she won't. She doesn't really sleep on her on her own that well. Yeah. So she, well, I just keep her on the couch with me and. I don't know how it works. Yeah, you got to figure out what you got to do. Like, you know, people have been doing baby stuff for at least 150 years. At least. At least, if you check your history books. So in that time, we just haven't had enough time to figure out what you can make babies do. Yeah. They they kind of just dictate what they want. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's, they're all like, yes and no. It's like... Oh, yeah. If they're complaining, that's no. And if they're not complaining, that's yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's a, it's bi- babies are b- binary. Yeah. <laughs> that should be the name of an album. One zero zero one one zero zero one. Babies are binary. I probably just said like a cuss word in binary. <laughs> one time I, I, my dad is a software engineer. And one time I rattled off like a bunch of ones and zeros as like a joke for a binary thing. Yeah. And then he told me like what letters I was representing for the first <laughs> Like dozen oh my gosh. lines of code or whatever. That's terrible. I was like, well, that first one was a G, and then you did like a six. And uh, well, uh, so do we? Do you hopefully, have none of the computer engineers uh, are offended, or any of the robots. <laughs> if you're listening, robots, yeah. uh, we didn't mean to offend. Yeah. Um, do we? Do you have anything new that we could talk about? I don't know. I don't think I do. Uh, I got a new pickup. Have I talked about that yet? No. I haven't put it in a guitar yet, but uh, actually, when I was on my way down to uh, WS Internet Radio Station oh, right. uh, a few weeks ago to do that interview with Tino, um, I on the way, I, I stopped off and bought a pickup from the same guy that I bought my uh, memory toy from. Right. Yeah. His name is Ryan. So I was like, oh, the Ryan who lives in Mira Mesa, that's not me. Yeah. I'll yeah. go buy this from him. And I uh, I gave him a card and I was like, hey, listen to the podcast. I'm going to talk about this. So if you're listening, hi, Ryan. Yeah. I feel like there's something obvious I did, but I don't remember what it was. Uh, I'm still still working through some sales and whatever. Sure. And, uh, I mean, we hit the holidays and it's just like my Craigslist game stopped. Yeah. Know? 
Um, I've got a guy up uh, like a hundred miles away who wants to buy my fuzz factory. I sent him. He actually was like, uh, he told me, uh, he's like, oh, I don't, I can't. It's going to be hard to meet up because I don't want to drive to like Oceanside. Like I don't want right. to have to drive thirty miles to meet this guy halfway. I realize like that's kind of the spoils of living in like a big city. Yeah, is. Uh, because I know like some of the guys in the group have been t- talking about like their best deals are all like an hour away yeah. because things are just a lot more spread out in the Midwest and on the East coast. Sure. Well, also just a lot of other places in general. You know? Yeah. Uh, but you know, being in a city with like 3 million people, like I, if I'm going to go outside of that market, like I'm going to use reverb. Oh, totally. totally. Um, but anyway, he was like, Oh, if we can't meet up, how do you feel about shipping it? I'll PayPal you. And like he suggested it. Uh huh. So um I sent him my email address for PayPal and I'm just waiting for the money. So I told him like if you'll do like an extra ten bucks to cover shipping, like it's done. Nice. Like we'll do this. So that was like late, late last night. I haven't heard from him today, so I'm hoping it's still gonna happen. Uh, and if not, then whatever. I mean everything gets gummed up in the holidays and yeah. people like this week. People are just not thinking about their stuff, you know. Yeah, he'll probably wake up next next week on Monday or Tuesday and be like, "Oh man, I really want that, that fuzz <laughs> factory. I got to get that thing." Yeah, uh, I've got like a bunch of freelance clients I'm working with that just disappeared like on Tuesday. Oh really? And I'm like, I'm not even gonna bother trying to get in contact with them right now. I'll hit him on Monday because people are they've they've just checked out mentally, you know. So what pickup did you get? <laughs> <laughs> I got a GFS uh, Dream 180, which is supposed to be kind of like a take on a Filtron kind of sound. Okay. I'm going to try putting it in the SG, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Right. Uh, because of my own baby stuff. Yeah. And I don't, I've, you know, I, I swapped a bunch of pickups and set up that SG when I first had a baby. And I still have a baby, but he's older and he's even more involved now. Right. So it's like getting the time to actually sit down and spend an hour or two swapping a pickup is just not a reality at the moment. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll drop him off at my parents for some babysitting sometime soon and <laughs> do some pickup swapping, but I'll probably just sleep instead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what's new. Do we want to get straight into ads? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. You want me to take that first take one? Take that first one. All right, let me pull it up. Who did this come from? Uh, this came from Jury. That's right. It is a 2014 Fender Squire Aztec Gold with Fender noiseless pickups for 165 There's a lot of pictures here. Which this guy did a great, great Craigslist ad. Lots and lots of pictures. Uh, this. Let, let me read the description. Uh, here we go. Only one hour of use in perfect condition with a vintage pearl pit guard. Factory blemish, a small chip on the back that's not noticeable. I have the receipt as seen on Guitar Center's website, adandfender.com. This model came out in September of this year. Comes with a case, new Planet Wave strap, new Fender cable and picks, new Fender tremolo arm, tools, and extra spring. Original pickups and pick guard included. The pickup wires are uncut, full length, and perfect condition with original Fender screws and springs. Uh, perfect frets and condition minus the factory blemish. No hum or buzz on ground problems. No 60 cycle hum. Hey. It's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> this guitar is free of hum and noise. Pickups 
are working perfectly. The pickups align perfectly with the strings. Some pickguard screws didn't line up, but doesn't affect the pickup height or spacing. I can include gold and metal screws as well. 165 makes a good Christmas present. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on this right off the bat? Um, so the first line is like an instant red flag to me. 2014 Fender Squire Bullet in Aztec Gold. I don't... I mean, you could drop like... I mean, there's there's pickups that you can get... Sure. To, that would make this worth 165 I don't think... I don't remember Fender what these... Noises pickups are one of those. I remember these coming out and being like, whoa, a bullet and an Aztec gold? That's sharp looking. Right. I don't remember them being terribly expensive... 165 is pretty high for this thing. He says it's got a small chip. That looks like a big chip to me. Yeah, this looks like it got dropped. Yeah, something happened. Like a a, a forklift ran into the box that yeah. this thing was in. Uh, I don't even... I have trouble believing that this was a factory... Um, like factory damage. I don't uh-huh. know. It's just... You'd think that the Fender factory would be pretty tight on not damaging their stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, stuff happens. Stuff happens, but if this was a factory blemish, I'd expect it to be a little different. Like, when I think of a factory blemish, I think of, like, the paint didn't turn out quite right. Exactly. Or, you know, like a screw pulled out or something like that, you know? Like, this looks like it was dropped in the loading dock of the guitar center. Yeah, so I just found this. Um, I believe this is the same one. Uh, Squire Bullet with Tremolo HSS. So these are actually the Aztec Golds were originally in yeah. the HSS configuration. He's, he swapped out the HSS and put in the standard yeah. strap. Um, that was a $130 guitar. Whoa. So you're, I would have to be convinced that you took a $130 guitar, uh-huh. dropped it, have like a huge chunk of the... Fin- I mean... Yeah. It's relics, Steve. Oh, yeah. People yeah. pay big money for relics. That's that's the whole thing with this. Like I'm looking at this picture, I would guess the total size of this of like the damage. Like there's two cracks that are probably like a quarter width apart. Uh huh. And then I'd guess like the chunk that's missing is is close to like maybe a quarter inch wide and probably close to an inch long. Yeah, it's big, and you can see like the the striation of the various paints that they use in there. Like it's yeah. a big chunk that goes down to wood. You can see. It goes to black to white, and there's probably like a blue in between or something. Yeah, and then this straight is, to wood. This isn't like a, a, I don't know. I just don't buy it's this as like, a factory. It's finish. not like a pencil lead sized ding, right? If this was like a B stock, I wouldn't. I, I guess you could probably get this as B stock for like eighty bucks, right. maybe. I mean, in those noiseless pickups, I haven't heard a lot of great stuff about them. You know, they're noiseless. That's nice. But, yeah. But then I've heard that they're kind of lifeless, too. Yeah. A lot of people who get them, they just kind of do their own thing. Uh-huh. They're not true, like a true single coil sound. Right. Like, they don't have, I mean, at least the reputation. I haven't spent a lot of time with them, but the reputation is very much that they don't have that, like, bright, uh, sparkly, kind of, like, Fender classic single coil tone. Right. Totally. They kind of, like, are a little duller. Um, a little, but they're not like high output. Like I know people say with the Tex-Mex pickups that the Tex-Mex is like, isn't as bright of a pickup, but it's a lot beefier. Yeah. It's a, it's a hot pickup. Whereas the vintage noiseless is just kind of like an all around deader. It's like, 
I feel like some of the descriptions almost sound like if you took a standard single coil from Fender and then rolled the tone down to like five. Right. That's totally. what you're getting. Kind of muddy, kind of dark. Yeah. Not very exciting. Not a lot of life in there. Exactly. And if you're playing a Strat, you it's because you like a pickup that's kind of jumps out. Right. And, and so these work for a lot of people, but for guys who are... Say like I would say like our true Strat enthusiasts, people uh-huh. who are really like wanting that classic Fender sound. Uh, the vintage Noiseless series of pickups just wasn't like a big, no, big draw. Point. I mean, Noiseless single coil sized pickups, anyways, are for people who are moving from a humbucker guitar and are super freaked out by that little bit of hum, right? And they're like, "Oh no, I don't want that hum at all. I can't have any hum." Where those of us who play single coils a lot are just, we're used to it and we're fine with it. And we know that when we're done with our song, we, you know, back off the volume pedal or we slam the knob closed really quick, you know. It's not a big deal for us because you don't hear that hum while you're actually playing your notes. Unless you're surrounded by fluorescent lights. Right, right. But then you you could have that problem with uh, various pickups. Yeah. Not just uh, single coils. So all that being said, like... I don't know what this pickup set costs. Yeah, offhand, neither. Uh, there are like a, a couple nice perks. You know, he's thrown in a strap, which a pine wave strap is like fifteen twenty bucks. Oh, I totally. Think, depending on what which strap it is, uh, it says it comes with a case, but I think it's just a gig bag. Sure, just like maybe like a fifteen twenty dollar perk. Um, I'm throwing out numbers for these. Oh, new fender cable and picks. New Fender trem arm. It comes with the yeah, trem it comes arm. With that. Um, it, all fact, this sounds like just like you know case candy from Guitar Center. Yeah, I actually discounted. Uh, that was the deal I did the other day. I finally sold Adam's Strat. Right. Oh, uh, did you? I sold. Yeah, the Sunburst. Yeah, nice. And uh, I sold it. I had it up for three twenty. The guy wanted to do two fifty. I got it. Got him up to like two seventy, and I've been sitting on it so long that uh-huh. like I was like, let's just do this. You know, that's right where I said it was going to yeah. go. I was like, it's going to go two seventy five, two seventy. I really you know. wanted to do two eighty, uh-huh. but I sold my burgundy uh, or my midnight wine rather uh-huh. for two sixty, and I felt like it was worth more than that. But the guy was like, he kind of nailed me. He's like, oh, do you have the trem arm? Like, he knew what questions to ask. <laughs> He's like, I was like, oh, let's do 280. He's like, well, like, but you don't have the trim arm, right? I'm like, I have no. a bunch of extra trim arms. You can yeah, ask I've me. I've got two or three. <laughs> I just totally didn't think about it. Right. And, and with that, he's like, well, you know, trim arm is going to cost like 10, 15 bucks, oh right? Oh, my gosh. Come on. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you already worked me down 40 bucks. I would have given but, you one. Yeah. Well, he was there and it, and it worked yeah. out. Like, it, it's not like he was just trying to get that money off no matter what. So. Yeah. Yeah, he was picking, trying to pick up something for his son, like as cheap as possible. Right, totally. I didn't really like inspect the guitars closely as I should have. There was like the strings were a little rusty. Uh huh. So, uh, all in all, I mean, two seventy for something that was sitting around for years, and yeah, I don't think it was getting a ton of play. Maybe as like a studio guitar, a little bit. Um, yeah. So I I got that off. So I don't know. Like, like I said, one sixty five for this, I think, is out. It's too far out there. These, li- these little perks, I would say with all these little perks, if he was... And this is a funny thing. Like, if he was asking the original price of the guitar, $130, uh-huh. I'd be like, okay. Like, basically, the, dropping these pickups in negates the fact that you dropped it. Right, totally. Or somebody, somebody dropped it. dropped it. This thing isn't cherry. Uh, I don't know what I would pay. I would want to be... 
under 130, honestly, sure. for, for me to be interested. And I would probably only be in it to flip those pickups. Right. And then turn that thing into a project guitar. Yeah. Something I've realized as I think about what we do here, what uh-huh. we do on the podcast, and what I do in like a lot of Facebook groups uh, and when people ask about used gear values, is I've realized that I have like two, I always have two price points in my head. Really, I have three price points in my sure. head. One is what price, how low would it have to be for me to flip this? Uh huh. The second one is how low would it have to be for me to be interested in this? And the third one is what price would I recommend to other people? Absolutely. Because I think there's definitely like a price point where I would say, like, for example, like um, Fender Mexican Stratocaster. Uh-huh. I would say like if you're paying more than $300, then you're paying too much. Sure, sure. But then for me to be used. Used. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like $300. Totally. Um, but then I would say for me to be interested in one, I would have to be like under 275, maybe under 250. Yeah, if you're if you're get, if you're you're saying for one for you to play. Right. Okay, gotcha. And then one to flip. And then one to flip would be like $200. Yeah, totally. Because I'm thinking like if I buy it $200, then I can sell it to somebody at $300. I'm not necessarily throwing out the $300 price point and thinking like Oh, if I get this, I can flip it to that person. Totally. But just what I think like a fair value is like $300 is the price point that I would expect to see if you went to Guitar Center and found it on their used gear wall. Sure, sure. And Guitar Center, we've talked about this before, like they've done a really good job in the last few years of revamping the way they do used gear. And you can get a lot of good deals there. They're competing with Craigslist now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Let's hit that next ad. I think I've got this. You pull it up. Um, if I can get my phone to work. Oh, I'm going the wrong direction. Uh, here we go. This was sent to us by Ruben Graham. Uh, this is in Lost River, Virginia, I want to say. And it is an Epiphone Wildcat guitar and PV Valve King. It's a VK100. Um, I had the add-up. The guy's asking 1250 uh-huh. I want to say. Oh my gosh, it's so steep. Uh, the price is so off. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to see if... Uh, I totally screwed this up. <laughs> There's my history. There we go. Uh, pull it up, I, Steve. I had this pulled up on, on ad, the actual ad so I could read it. Uh, we always take pictures, but it's always nice to have the ad. Yeah, totally. Um, so the guy says, so the guy says, can be sold separate. <laughs> uh, yeah. Epiphone Wildcat Guitar with Case and Extras. Uh, a small-bodied, semi-hollow beast from Epiphone, one of the most distinctive art shop guitars around. The Epiphone Wildcat truly lives up to its name, with a Bigsby vibrato mounted on its small, semi-hollow body. This is all like the yeah. Epiphone this is all like write-up. PR stuff. This guy actually doesn't put any information on his own. Um, yeah, those Wildcat guitars are great, though. Yeah, and then he says the last thing. <laughs> it's funny. There are three paragraphs like copy pasted from Epiphone. Uh huh. That it says PV Valve King Amp and Cabinet VK100. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um. So Ryan and I did a little work. Um. Actually, the the Wildcats, uh, that whole cat series, but particularly the there's the Wildcat, the Flame Cat, the Alley Cat, and the Alley Cat. Yeah. I've been seeing the different color variations on the Wildcat a uh-huh. lot. Uh, and I think people are starting to look at them as another... Um, people are really starting to get excited about the Wildcats. Yeah. 
but I've been hot on them for like a decade now. So since, hot. I know, but since I first played one, I've just had that in the back of my mind, like, someday I'm going to get one Why do they have two switches? Uh, does it? This one does. Where is there's like one? Let me. There's pull like up the two item. pickup switches or something. I don't know what they do, and it doesn't say in all of this markup. It's, it I, says no. Nothing. That's not a second switch. That's a a uh, master volume knob on the lower horn. Oh, okay. Weird. Yeah, it just splits the uh, the knobs up a little bit. Okay. Uh, so anyway, I've been seeing these come up. So. I uh, just recently, like two weeks ago, I was looking at va- values on these on eBay, and you can fi- you can score them as low as like two twenty five. Oh, totally! I've actually seen some that were like a little a little beat up that were like part of the original series, like ten years ago or whatever, uh-huh. um, that were going for like under two hundred if you're lucky. And this is on eBay, so maybe right, shipping right. was bad. I don't know. But I think that's probably more for the alley cats than the wild cats. The this, alley- these were wild cats, but really? it, the, but the very uh, it's all about the color. Well, the alley cats uh, do not have a Bixby, and they have uh, mini buckers instead of P90s. Right, right. Yeah. These ones were definitely wild cats, and they are actually in this yellow finish. Really, but I think there there were two other, at least two other finishes they did. And those ones, uh, I think there was like a, maybe a red one and like a uh-huh. sunburst one, and those ones routinely sold for more. Wow! On eBay, there's a white one that's or, like yeah, yeah, a newer the, finish that has like a gold. Uh, what is it called? The the striping on the side. Oh right, what the is binding. Binding. It had, it had like gold sparkle binding. Nice. Yeah, it's like they're doing like this whole Gretsch thing with it. Yeah, they're really great looking Epiphones. They have the big book scroll headstock instead of the stupid Epiphone headstock. It's got that cool metal plate that you could take off if you really didn't want to have it marked Epiphone. But I think the metal plate looks cool on the headstock. Yeah. They're really... I don't know the specifications, but I remember from playing them, they're really fast playing guitars. Like right. It feels like they have like a nice flat radius. Nice, set, nice small hollow body instead of being a big body. They describe it as being a slim tapered D shape. Sure. So... Yeah, it's like a, it's like a slick, modern feeling neck instead of... Some kind of vintage style big baseball bat sort of thing. Yeah, so we've established like the price range on this maximum price three hundred dollars. Sure. So, I mean if if I was being specific, I was like, I want a very specific color and I'm going out to buy one on the used market right now on eBay or reverb, I would go up to three fifty. All right. We'll say maximum three fifty. Three fifty is maximum player's budget. And you'll see why we're we're why we're doing maximum in sure, a moment. Sure. Because PV Valve Keen VK100 head and cab is that worth nine hundred dollars? No. Nope. Yeah. So nine. So we've three hundred dollars. So twelve fifty minus three hundred is nine hundred. Yeah. Or three fifty is is nine hundred. I mean, I was seeing those those heads for uh, basically three twenty five and under. Yeah. And I, the, I think I saw one for two seventy five on Reverb, and Reverb prices are usually higher. Yeah, and these cabs probably aren't going to go for more than. I'd say two hundred dollars for the cab. Probably not. Is it a four by twelve? It's a four by twelve. Yeah, you'll probably go somewhere in between one fifty and two fifty. Yeah, that would be my guess. Yeah. Uh, so I would think that you could probably find this setup at like some you like I don't know guitar center or something for like five or six hundred dollars. Right. That's tops. Yeah, but then you wouldn't be buying the the amp and the guitar. No, I, I think amp and guitar. If I was trying to sell these, right, and like I really wanted to move them, 
for both, I think I'd be shooting between seven and eight hundred dollars. Sure. I I mean I don't know. I, I don't have a ton of experience with these. Maybe if I bought all this I, stuff new, I, I would don't know anything like about the Valve King amps. So the PV Valve King was uh, uh, part of PV's first foray into like foreign made amps. Oh, okay. And uh, prior to. Uh, the Valve King, and I want to say the Windsor series was also made in China. Uh huh. And um, but prior to that, like all of PV stuff was made in the U.S. It's is it all tube? Yeah. Interesting. Well, it's all tube, right? Some people, you know, there's people that say if it doesn't have a tube rectifier, it's not really all tube. Sure. Um, but then don't Marshalls not have a tube rectifier? Well, f- there's a lot of amps that don't, and so that's yeah. Personally, I think if it's tube pre, tube power, um, then it's tube. Right, totally. But like I said, there's sticklers on that. Oh, it's, sure. There's a million. Fine. There's a million different ways to look um, at it. Rectification, like definitely, but it's, affects it's, it. But it's basically a tube amp. Yes, it's not yeah. a hybrid. You can amp. say it's a tube amp. Yeah, totally. Maybe you can't say it's all tube, but it's definitely right. A tube. I mean, there's other parts in there other than tubes. Yes, <laughs> there's a speaker. Oh there's a power cable. There's, you know, the pots or the knobs. Those oh. aren't made out of tubes. <laughs> You're a terrible person. Um, yeah, so so they started making these. They PV was basically trying to compete with uh, a lower cost. I don't know who specifically they're trying to compete with, really. Uh-huh. But they're trying to get in, like, more of a low cost, a low budget uh, market, but with tube amps. They're probably now, trying to compete with Crate. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, but the Valve King was, it was like, like a '90s thing, right? No, there. This was early 2000s, early two, early mid 2000s. Huh. Um, and what they were doing with these is they were making like a very high gain amp, okay, uh, or at least a very high gain capable amp that was like dirt cheap. Gotcha. And I think really what they were doing is if you were like a kid and you wanted high gain, you yeah. start out buying like the uh, the Valve King, and you got hooked on PV. And then when you're older and you were like in a serious band, you'd like upgrade to the triple XXX or right. Well, you don't upgrade to that till you're at least 18, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or as I like to call it, the PV XXX XXX XXX, <laughs> uh, or like the JSX, or you know something along you know the the sixty five sure. or five sure. or what, you know whatever. Um, but. Uh, they used pretty cheap cabinets on these. They're like MDF cabinets. I've actually seen a few of of the Valve Kings that, like, if you dropped it off of a truck, it would just like yeah, totally. the whole thing would crumble, disintegrate. Um, and so people would have like shipping issues with them. But yeah, I mean, they were supposed to be like a solid amp. I've never used them, but I know a lot of people sure. loved them. Um, but it's I definitely th- not worth nine hundred dollars. No, no. Yeah, I would say like, like I said, I would say like maybe. He's 500 for the head and cab together. Totally. Uh, I think that's fairish. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fairish. I mean, if I was looking at this, I'd probably just pick up the head and leave the cab alone. Yeah. Get, I'd, I'd rather pick up a, you know, like an 80s or early 90s PV cab. Oh, yeah. With like some spider speakers in there or something. Yeah. You know? Get one with like, get a late 90s. Not spiders. With sh- spiders line six. I'm talking about Black, Black Widows. Oh, the Black Widows? Yeah. yeah. Or I was going to say, get like a late 90s with the Sheffields. Yeah, the Sheffields. Those things are freaking ridiculous. Yeah, totally. Um, so, with yeah. The, with the, you know, get 
an old PV uh, cab with the aluminum stripes on the oh side. Oh my god, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, this is just overpriced. This is way yeah. overpriced. I mean, this stuff is fine. This yeah. stuff itself is fine. The like we said, the guitar is great. The amp is what it is. If you're if you're in a loud aggressive band, it's probably a great amp. Yeah, but it's one of those things where if you are buying if you're putting together like a package and he says like we'll sell separate like how much is he going to sell these separate for because usually when i package stuff yeah. like this i'm the idea is if you buy all of my stuff i'll give you a discount right you package it to go, do a lower price not package it to do a higher price that doesn't make any sense yeah so i don't know bad deal yeah <laughs> definitely a bad deal you want to hit the last one let's hit that last ad we got this ad from Kyle Smith. Hello, Kyle Smith. Thank you for the ad. Thanks, Kyle we Smith. We are mis- mentioning your name, Kyle Smith, on yeah. the podcast. Kyle Smith. So, <laughs> so I don't know. Were you, I, were you on the group much on New Year's Eve? I don't remember. I don't remember what I did New Year's Eve. Uh, and that's not implying that I did some kind of crazy drinking or partying or anything. I sat around like an old man and watched movies. I watched a bunch of Twilight Zone. I watched Ernest Saves Christmas. I drank some beer. I went to bed at like 10. I was like live Facebooking. Yeah, you were. The New Year's Eve events. All I've heard is complaints <laughs> from our mutual friends who haven't figured out how to turn off notifications. I didn't even know that you could turn notifications on for individual people. And everyone who's complaining to me about your constant updating on it, I was like, why don't you fix your phone? This is your fault. Like, do you really get a notification every time one of your friends posts to Facebook? Like, if you are, then Steve isn't your problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was. I got bored, and I after I complained about like the first thing that I sat down for, I was like, I'm just going to do this all night long. Yeah, uh, because I I had a kid on my chest for five hours. Basically, oh, I've been there. I understand. Uh, so I'm like, I'm just you get a little slap happy. Yeah, I wasn't even drinking. I didn't have anything to drink on New Year's Eve. Anyway, so New Year's Eve, I'm on Facebook, and um, and uh, Kyle posts this thing. He's like, oh, guys, should I do this? And it was a guy who originally... So the ad that you actually pulled has pictures in it, but originally there was no pictures. It just said... Um, oh, yeah, I remember commenting on this one. Yeah, it just said, like, it said, like, MIM Strat, and it was $125. And Kyle was like, should I do this? And I'm like, dude, you need to do this. He's like, and then he's like, but if I try to do this, I might miss Taylor Swift. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so it's this big back and forth. And so I guess he emails this guy. And this guitar is like a legit, it's a black MIM Fender Strat. And I guess Kyle emails the guy and the guy emails him back like, if you come right now, I'll take $25 off. Whoa. So then it was like $100. $100 MIM strap. Yeah. And then like it ends up in this ad, like $80 tonight. The guy claimed he was having car trouble, but like he wanted to meet at this motel he was staying at or something. Oh, so sketch. Like there's all these things about it that are like really sketchy. And I told Melissa, I was like, Melissa, if I told you that I could make $200 on a guitar flip, but I can't go get the guitar until after midnight tonight. <laughs> Like, would you be okay and with I'm this? And I'm meeting a guy at a motel. Yeah. No, I left that part out. <laughs> and there's no pictures. Yeah. So the guy can't prove he actually has a guitar. Um, and she was like, 
She was like, oh, really? <laughs> I was like, this is just a hypothetical scenario. I told this guy you would be okay with it. <laughs> she's just like, oh, no, just no, let it go. Yeah. Let <laughs> someone else have that flip, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I don't know how the story ended. I know Kyle didn't go and get it, but I don't know if the guy got it sold. Well, the ad was still up today. Weird. Yeah. At, up for $80. I'm, you know, maybe it's just rough trying to sell something on Craigslist right now, or maybe everyone in, in the area is just freaked out by this ad because it's so sketch. Since it's still there, like part of me wants to be like, "Hey, if I send you an extra thirty bucks, will you ship it to me?" <laughs> it's gonna show up just wrapped in newspaper, <laughs> as long as it's not broken. <laughs> I mean, even if it's broken, you could part out the the unbroken parts and make profit off yeah, of that. Yeah, loaded strap body. Yeah. Well, those necks don't break, so... <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Especially if it's maple. Yeah. Loaded, yeah. loaded strat neck. M-I-M. That's 100 bucks right there. Yeah, exactly. All right. And then the tuners. The tuners aren't going to break. No. Well, yeah. I was going to leave the tuners on the neck. Even if the neck is broken? Well, if it's broken, I, you know. But, <laughs> um... So oh, that wraps up ads, I think. Yeah. Did we want to say anything else about that? No, I think that's it. Uh, thanks for all the ads that everyone's been sending in. I can't believe how much activity we've been getting as far as ads go on the group. Yeah, like, it has been crazy the past couple of weeks, and I feel super bad because I just kind of checked out mentally for the holidays, and I haven't been going on my computer and getting Good job, Ryan. getting screen grabs of anything. Well, really, this is what we need a producer for. Yeah, totally. <laughs> to blame them <laughs> instead of blaming myself. That's what producer Gary is for. Um, so, guys, just keep it up. I'm loving seeing all the ads posted all day long on the group. It's a uh, it's a dream come true. It's like a it's like an internet fairy tale for me to go on a group and see all the stuff that I would you know find on my local Craigslist. Only it's all from all over America. Yeah. It's really exciting to me. You know? Living in America. So something we wanted to do, and uh, we'll probably do it on a later episode with you, because you were talking about doing it with all your stuff. Oh, yeah. But I have all my information here, is I'm going to go through everything I've bought and sold in uh, 2014. 2014? More like 2014. Am I right? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pull this up. Uh, gear budget is. I keep a uh, a spreadsheet on Google Drive on my phone. Oh, I forgot it opens up. It opens it up in a different app. Oh, awesome! Yeah, spreadsheet. This is and great stuff. podcast. I know everyone's gonna love this. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm in the app. Great. I'm opening it. It's got a little thing that says loading. Mm-hmm. All right, here I am. Yay! Right. Oh shoot! Stop scrolling. Where does 2014 start? Okay. In first, January. First, <laughs> first thing I bought 2014, Electroharmonic Satisfaction Fuzz. I've already sold that. Yeah. Uh, but I'll go, I'll go through the prices. I paid 60 for that. Then I finally got the Hallmark Sweatwing. You know, this is crazy too because we're almost to our 52nd episode. Yeah. So this is all stuff that I've bought and sold within... Uh, the podcasting year. Oh, with, yeah. Within the life of the yeah. podcast. So I, I, I bought the Hallmark Swiftwing, spent $934 on it. Then I bought the Topanga Reverb, $165. Then I sold a DD2 that I had bought in 2013, and I made 75 bucks on that. Uh, did you sell it for 75 or did you make 75 Uh, That was that one where I bought 
a fully loaded right. boss pedal board for a hundred dollars. And after I had sold two things, I was just making pure profit. Right. And then I kept the uh, SD one. Yeah, right. Uh, so then I sold a boss octave pedal for 40. I think I paid 30 for that thing. I sold the boss case for 50. I bought my Joyo power supply for $55. I sold that Telecaster for $200. I bought the Fez from uh, uh, I Nocturne it, Brain from Nocturne Brain, but I bought it off of a guy on Surf Guitar One Hundred and One oh, okay. for one hundred and twenty-five. I bought the uh, the the SG for two hundred and fifty. I sold my Fuzz Bright for eighty. I sold my Whammy Wah for ninety dollars. I sold my Fuzz Probe. When did you buy that Whammy Wah? In 2013. Oh, okay. I've had it around for a while. I sold the Fuzz Probe for 180. You remember that Solo Sound uh, volume yeah. pedal that I've had around for years and years and years? Like I yeah. bought that probably seven years or eight years ago. Right. I finally sold that on Reverb for sixty dollars. <laughs> uh, I paid twenty for that thing. That thing was just a shell with a pot in it. Yeah, but th- when those those pedals, if you can get them with the original guts in them, go for like two hundred, three hundred dollars. Right. So someone saw it and was like, "Yeah, I'll I'll get that, and maybe they'll be able to fix it up or whatever." It was just cool looking. Uh, I bought the dirt transmitter for a hundred. I sold. Oh, you know what? You're right. I bought the whammy for ninety. I sold it for a hundred. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So I made ten bucks. That's nice. I sold the Satisfaction Fuzz for forty-five. I bought the GFS Dream One Hundred and Eighty that I was talking about earlier for twenty. I sold my iPod, which is funny. <laughs> right? Uh, if you have iPod Classics laying around that you haven't used for a couple of years, like I did, those things fetch money now. Yeah. Uh, I only got seventy-five for mine because it was an eighty gig and it was kind of beat up, and I just put it on Craigslist. But some of certain models are selling on eBay now for hundreds of dollars. So if you have those that stuff That's laying around, so insane. It's for people who want to have you know their complete library with them. It's and, for people who are stupid and don't want to do you know cloud storage or whatever. Um, and then I sold that Seymour Duncan Double Cream pickup for forty bucks. So that's my full year in gear review, basically. Nice, which is kind of crazy. I'm glad that I keep track of all this stuff because it's really interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of nuts. Yeah, I, it doesn't let me see what I think I've got like like six hundred bucks in my gear budget right now from stuff that I've sold. Oh, okay. Yeah, from buying and selling and flipping and whatnot. So, do we want to move on to that other topic? Yeah, let's hit that thing. Okay. Uh, oh, you, hold on. So, where did I'm just curious because I don't know how did you? So, you you have like six hundred dollars in your budget. Is what did you start with in that? You know, I started keeping track um, in 2013, and I kept track basically because I sold two big ticket items. Oh, okay. Um, so I don't know what the full value of my entire collection of gear is, but I've just been basing it off of what I started buying and selling in 2013. I started off 2013 by selling that Jaguar and selling a surfboard. And that gave me like $1,100 to start with. And then I've been buying and selling since. Right. Okay. Well, I've been buying and selling for years and years, but that was like the beginning of my budget. 
and then I was buying amps and selling amps, uh, getting stuff together for, you know, my band and whatnot. So, you know, I'm happy. I can track all the stuff that I've been buying and selling and the vast majority of time I'm cutting a profit off, off of it. Yeah. So that's always a good thing. I can always, I can look at everything I've bought and, and kept and be like, okay, I can sell that now for this price. And I'm still, you know, I'm not losing any money. Yeah. It's, you know, it stays stable and I'm fine yeah, with that. That's, that's the goal. Yeah, totally. So, all right, let's jump into this topic. Yeah. Uh, do you want me to pull it up to read it? Yeah. Cause I don't have it. I already closed all that stuff out. Oh, come on. <laughs> I might be able to get it. It's a Facebook than. race. To the Facebook. Do, 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 do. You think we would pause when we have to do this kind of stuff, but instead we just make you guys suffer. Here. I'll, suffer. I'll pause it right now. All right. We're done pausing. We found the, the topic. We're going to read it. Here we go. Yeah. So this is from Co. Actually, again, thanks to everyone who sent in ads today. Or rather, who sent in topics? sent in topics. Um, we're going to actually try to write all of these down or print them out so we can use them for the future. So we don't always have to do like a send us a thousand topics. And, right, right. Uh, but this one uh, says stage etiquette how not to panic when something goes wrong, how and when to interact with the drummer. As a bass player, I had to a lot, and most drummers I dealt with didn't uh, look like the way guitarists talk to them. I don't. Didn't like the way guitarists talk to them yeah i think that's there's some typos in there i i imagine co is typing one-handed brian speaks uh typo <laughs> I'm, I'm fluent in terrible english um <laughs> so yeah communicating with the band um that's so i guess so i feel like there's a couple a couple angles to this um the first one is, is stage etiquette, which is kind of like a broader idea. And the second one is communicating in the band. I think uh, as far as communicating in the band goes, like every band develops their own kind of communication. Sure, a, sure. a lot of people, like in bands where you're basically your cover band, which is to say like church music, uh-huh. uh, a lot of people, a lot of groups develop like um, hand signals yeah, and totally. whatever. Body language. Body language. Uh, and some of that just comes with getting to know the people you're playing with. Yeah. Uh, and that goes with like really the body language thing I think goes for like any band. Um, that was one of the things that. Um, I mean, we would have that you know, in your favorite band and I've got it with Dinosaur Ghost and, you know, other things that we've worked on where you just play with people enough. And if something goes sideways, like someone's string breaks or they need to fix something. They can just, you know, do a sim- simple hand motion to the band, like keep it rolling. Yeah. And it can buy you 20 seconds to fix whatever's broken because the band will just be like, okay, we just got to hold these bars for right, a while. Right. And a lot of that is just, uh, you know, knowing it's, it's just playing together a lot. Yeah. And it's just, we did so much like just jamming in your favorite band. Yeah, totally. That, As practices, we would just jam for fun. Yeah. Uh, that it wasn't like an issue, like, oh, and we were only like a three-piece. Uh-huh. We weren't like a three-piece. We were a three-piece. <laughs> Similar to a three-piece. Uh, we had three pieces, but we were like one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we were a three-piece, and one of the pieces dropped out, which would always 
pretty much be Ryan. No, I guess it would be Adam a lot of times if he broke a stick or something. Sure, sure. It was never me. Right. I would never let the beat drop. <laughs> um, and uh, it just got to where, because we did it so much in practice, that just jamming out a section in uh, during a show wasn't really an issue like it no, was just no. it was second nature and people have commented to us about that um because ryan and adam and i still uh adam has his solo project now and, and you've got dinosaur ghost and i'm a slacker <laughs> and um but we all play on the worship team together and people have commented like oh you guys like sometimes it just seems like you guys know what the other one's going to do before they do it and it's like, yeah, we played like a hundred shows together. We practiced for like hundreds of hours. Yeah, totally. Uh, doing not church music, doing other music. Yeah, we know what but, we're going to do. But we know what each other's tendencies are and sure. as players. And um, we know what like each other's capabilities are. Uh, so a lot of times it's just that. It's understanding what e- what the capabilities of everyone is. Uh-huh. And then just developing like that trust and confidence in each other. Yeah, um, we've been pretty lucky though with the people that we've played with. Uh, we haven't had any bands so far where it's been like just stupid drama or mega egos that we have to deal with, right? To extreme, you know, degrees. I've talked to people, you know, other people who are friends and musicians and whatnot who have been in just awful band situations, and I'm really glad we don't have any stories like that. But there are people out there that are just impossible to work with. There's people who do get bossy with their bandmates and stuff. And I think that's kind of what he's asking about. And I'd say, unless it's obviously worth it, like the, uh, you know, if the money's there or if the, uh, the potential for success is there, why waste your time playing with people who aggravate you? There's so many other musicians out there. There's definitely, you know, it's there's definitely a lot to be said, like with different instruments. How, and I, I hear a lot. Actually, I always hear about friction between like guitar players and bass players. Like that sure, seems sure. like that seems like that's one of the most common band frictions. Well, I think anytime a person playing one instrument tells another person playing a different instrument what to do, you get some kind of friction there because the other person is like well you don't know what you're talking about because you don't even play this instrument right exactly and and so there's some of that and i think there's some of where it's like i think there can be a thing where whether it's intentional or not like a lot of guitar players view themselves as like the front man sure uh Intentionally or otherwise, or whether right. they well, are it's or called aren't. lead guitar, Steve. We're leading with oh, the guitar. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if only I was better at lead bass. <laughs> I, oh my gosh! I so complete aside, but it drives me nuts when I've actually had people ask me like, "So, do you consider yourself like a lead bass player or a rhythm bass player?" <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I get, you know, I could kind of see there being a distinction. Like, I think of someone like Flea being a lead bass player, whereas I guess. like you know, his lines can be kind of part of the the forward melody of the song. Right. It's really more, you know, is it melody or is it? Uh, it's not lead bass versus rhythm bass. It's melody bass versus rhythm bass. Sure. 
Because the rhythm bass, I imagine, is someone who lays back with the bass drum. Right, but even a guy like Flea, like, he sits in the pocket the whole time. Sure, sure. Like, he's a really tight pocket player. I'm saying versus, like, say, like, Adam Clayton from U2. Right. Is, like, he Adam Clayton has a reputation of just playing, like, eighth notes. Like, Les Claypool, he's a lead bass player. Les Claypool is annoying. <laughs> he's, not even, he's a lead slap even, bass player. Do they even have a guitar player in that band? Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, uh, Lemmy is a rhythm bass player. Sure. Because he just, he just you know, drops 4-4. Yeah. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, you know. Well, that's because he's singing. Right, totally. But, you know, he, put, he he treats the, his bass like a rhythm guitar, basically. Right. Um, so, anyway, uh, going back, I think sometimes even if a guitar player him or herself doesn't develop like that ego like i'm the i'm the one that everyone looks at mentality sure sure people sometimes attribute that anyway so if a guitar player tells like a drummer like hey you're losing the beat here or whatever they're just gonna be the the gut reaction is like oh stupid guitar player like <laughs> think they're in charge of everything right totally totally um what really gets frustrating as a bass player is um, when the person who's complaining about the other person dragging the song is actually the person that's sure, dragging the song. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, and then they're like, "You got you, you're playing too fast on the drums." No, dude, you're slowing down on yeah. guitar. Like you, <laughs> like you've dropped like twenty beats since we started this song, and we're not even through the second verse. You're definitely not talking about me right now. I'm not. <laughs> the specific instance I was thinking of wasn't you, but. <laughs> but again, that was one of those things with knowing um, how to how to uh, like just knowing what each other's abilities were. Uh-huh. Were a lot of times like playing live, or a lot of times when we were doing song development. Uh, one of the things now with your favorite band, we always played songs fast because we just did. I just play as fast as I can, and that's how fast a song is going to be. Right, but there, but there was definitely occasionally an element of like. If we don't play this song fast, then one. If we don't play this song at a certain speed, uh, then we're going to like drag it. Sure, like, sure. We will. If we like, if we did a song at one fifty, we'd do one fifty the entire length. Yeah. If we did a song at like one twenty, we'd start at one twenty and we'd finish at like one ten. Yeah. There's a song that we play in Dinosaur Ghost where I swear the difference between it being an exciting song. And just the most boring song you've ever heard is like half a beat right. of speed. Like there's just this one little, this this edge, and it can't. Be, it's a song where like the structure of it, you can't really play it much faster. So right. it's not like you can go like ten beats faster and just lock into that. It's like right on this edge where it's got to be like right on the edge of like one thirty five and one thirty seven oh, yeah. for it to work at all. And it's just like every time we start playing it, I'm like. Okay, do I am I going to need a signal to the band to pep it up? Right, you know. Right. So um, let's talk about kind of just more general stage etiquette, I guess. Sure. Um, and uh, I'm going to throw this out to you since you've kind of played both sides. How is being in an instrumental band for you like similar and or different in terms of the way like you handle stage? Like you, would you? You're basically the front man for Dinosaur Ghost. Sure, like functionally. I mean, functionally, I'm the songwriter and kind of idea man. Right. Um, 
I guess in the songs, I'm the head lead. Right. Like my my parts are the the melody part that's on top. Right. The way I think of the structure of it, because I I write most of the theme for both guitars, and then I let my uh, second guitarist, uh, like, kind of spiffy it up and spruce it up and do what he wants right. with it. Um, but I write with the mentality that this is going to have a, two guitars in it. Right. Well, you but you also do all of the like. This song is called Sure Sub- Sure Submarine sure. Boat. Sure, sure. I, I do all the talking on the mic and whatnot. Uh, but I get. What are you asking? <laughs> like, how, how is it different now? Like, different how is it vers- different versus like? Okay, like in your favorite band, you were like the obvious front man because you were the guitar player sure, and, sure. and the and lead vocal. Yeah, and uh, the Morning Glass, like you were the lead vocal. And you were the well, I guess David sometimes would sing backing vocal, well, but you were like the lead vocal, even, even though, though you weren't lead guitar. I've always been kind of the lead in the bands that I've been. I don't think of myself really that way as I'm playing. I don't think like, oh, this is like about me. Like, I don't think of myself as like, oh, I'm being, you know, uh, like a... Uh, the the name of the band basically I'm not like an Eric Johnson or right you know an Eric Clapton any of the Erics I'm not, <laughs> I'm not any of the Jimmys you know right uh, I think of my I think of it as a band and I lean back I've, I've been seeing Dinosaur Ghost uh, being promoted as Ryan Burke featuring Dinosaur Ghost <laughs> you know it's funny if I ever did a thing where as just a guitarist I went and featured myself on a track as a guitarist right then I'd want to have it be featured as Dinosaur Ghost so what if it wasn't a surf track so I would well then I would be Ryan Burke but if it was if it was playing in my Dinosaur Ghost style then I'd just say featuring Dinosaur Ghost even though it was just me right so kind of think of myself as Dinosaur Ghost if that makes sense Uh, but then I think of the whole band as Dinosaur Ghost too. I don't know. It's, it's weird for me. I don't think of myself as the personality of the band. I think of the personality of the band as being this thing that I made up that is the whole band. Okay. Does that make sense? I think so. I, I think it's a little different for every band. You know? Right. I, I'm just not the personality of... I'm never going to be in a Ryan Burke and the, you know, Burke Tones sort of the thing. Burke Tones. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, I, I like... I really enjoy collaborating with people. I don't like I we know people who when they get a band together then they tell everyone exactly what notes to play and they have the whole thing composed. Right. I like to more just be a part of the band and lean on the rest of the band to manage their parts. Yeah. Um has playing live changed at all in the last 5 years? I haven't played a live show since like in five years, there's I think. less pay to play now. Really? Yeah, uh, I haven't encountered pay feel, to play. Is it less pay to play, or is it just because we're not doing the like you're not doing all not, ages stuff? I'm not doing all ages stuff, but they used there used to be a ton of bar shows that were that's pay to true. play all the time. Yeah, and that's not the case anymore. There's a lot less shows that are like, uh, you know, like six bands on the bill. There's it's it's gone back to three band bills. And, okay, cool. And whatnot, which is which is good. It's still San Diego, so it's still tough to get an audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we're supposed to be talking about band dynamics here. Well, we did, but this is also <laughs> like stage etiquette, so I'm thinking... Sure. I'm, 
I mean, I, a big part of stage etiquette is working with other bands at venues. Yeah. Uh, we just did a thing where the the last band pre-set up everything and backlined everything. So we had to set up in between all their stuff on a stage oh, yeah. to open, which is all, always interesting. There's times when that does and doesn't work just it, because of the sizes of yeah, the stage. Yeah, it's nice for like quick in and outs, but yeah, for some stages, we did that um, at... at uh, San Diego Christian College, I think, when we played there with your favorite band, is uh, whoever was like the headliner set all their stuff up in the very back, and then the next band, and then us. But they had like a really big stage, so it worked. Sure. At a place like, I feel like we did that once at like the Epicenter, Uh and it was like just really rough. Like everything seemed really cramped. We, the, a band we played with at Soda Bar tried to backline a few months ago, and it was just, really rough because yeah. it was it was two bands that were touring together and so they were sharing gear but then the guys who couldn't share gear it was like there was extra gear on stage right and then they didn't want to take their drums off so there was it's already a really small stage and it all and then you add a drum kit that you can't move and then you add a bass amp that's huge then you add two guitar amps that are huge they have like half stacks right and then like another amp for the sound maker guy <laughs> and then we're supposed to cram on there and it was just not enough room we were messing around with our drummer just swapping out you know snares and cymbals and stuff uh but that was a big mess yeah have, uh, you, have you ever done like a true backline where everyone uses the same gear um not where everyone does but I've done stuff where we show up and it's like, oh, hey, we'll just use their bass amp. Or all, I, have, right, no, I yeah. have no problem plugging into that amp. Uh, the the Soda Bar show I was talking about, we showed up and one of the other guitarists had the exact same amp as me. Oh, nice. And I was like, yeah, I'll just plug into that. That's perfect. So that was cool. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's rare that you run into someone who's got the same exact yeah. amp as me, that acoustic yeah. 150. What cap was he using? Uh, I think he was using the... Uh, the six by ten. Oh, or the one. I think it's the one hundred six. Yeah, he was using the the actual acoustic. That's cool. Cab, which I don't have. I use a crate two by twelve. I want one of those one hundred sixes, but I have nowhere to put it right now. You have no way to transport it. Uh, I I don't actually because I have car seats. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Um, I don't think one of those things would fit in my car. Yeah, it'd be rough. I might be able to fit it in the. If I took the stroller out, I might be able to fit it in the in the five. Yeah. I need to get a van at some point. <laughs> Then I can start getting real big gear. <laughs> um, yeah, it, definitely working with other bands. Um, there are a lot of bands, and that's it's the one thing that's nice is you get bands that like you. Even if you're not playing the same style of music, like there are some people that are just really chill, and you are just like I want to work with these people. Oh, totally! I want to set up shows with these people. There were bands that we played with as YFB. Uh, with your favorite band, not because we sounded like them or we worked with them well as like genres, but just because we liked them. Right. And it's like, we want to hang out with you guys. Let's play shows. Yeah. And you know, that's, there's something to being just agreeable people that gets you gigs, you know? Yeah. And it just makes things fun. Oh, totally. Um, I'm trying to think of other like stage etiquette things. Another angle to stage etiquette can be cool to the sound guy. Yeah. The sound guy is a huge part of what you're doing. And so many bands, like, especially for us having run a small venue for a while, 
we get what the sound guy has to go through. Right. Like with setup with some of these bands, like some bands, they get in their head like, oh, we're going to bring this really weird microphone. I have to bring my recording setup from home. I have to bring all this stuff. Yeah. There's people who like, oh, I'm going to have my buddy Ted come and run sound at this venue because he's run sound at our garage shows and he really knows how we're supposed to sound. (laughs) I had a long conversation with the sound guy at one of our last shows and we were just telling horror stories of, of bands and stuff. You know, there's. He was telling me about some band that tried to bring condenser mics on stage, which is a disaster. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, the same thing I was saying, like bringing friends to run sound, and they have no idea what well, they're doing. We had that. We had that happen once at the park gallery. Uh huh. And the guy that they the this I actually knew the guy that this band brought in, and he was a. Uh, like he was super competent. Like he had done like big production stage sure. sound and he was doing like, he was doing church sound, I think at the time, but he had, I think he had done sound for like some pretty big acts like sure. death cab. I want to say he did sound for them once and sound for some other bands like in that, in that vein, uh, in that like popularity level. And, um, this was like pre super huge death cab, but still, I mean, right, they were right. always pretty major. Uh, and so they wanted, he, they were like, oh, we brought in our buddy to do sound at the park. And we had this like little <laughs> six channel powered monitor, powered mixer. It, it deal. was more than six channel. It was like 12 channels. Seven channels. But no, it was like 12 <laughs> channel, but four of them were line. Well, so, yeah, yeah. So it was like an eight channel mixer. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was powerful enough for our little, little venue there, but it's like, Anyone could have run that board. Yeah, and this was, I think, when we were still in the coffee house. It was before oh, we moved over. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was like, I mean, and I told the guys, I was like, if you want them to run it, that's cool. Like, let me just get the base set up going and uh, I'll show them, like, what we've got going. Yeah. And so I brought them over. I'm like, all right, like, so I've got one vocal here, one vocal here. They're turned up. Like, look around this room, EQ. Like, I run the EQ flat. Yeah. EQ doesn't really matter. We don't mic anything else that doesn't need to be mic'd. Um, so if there's anything you want to tweak, like have fun. He's like, no, it looks like you guys know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because he's an actual, you know, yeah. sound guy who understands what's going on. Like yeah. I had people come in and like, oh, my buddy wants to run the sound. And he'd look at it and like, well, how do I put reverb on it? Yeah. And like, well, this thing's kind of busted. Here's how you do it. Oh, no, well, how, no, do you, how do you put reverb on it? No. We don't have reverb. How do I turn up the subs? We don't have subs. Yeah, what's a sub? <laughs> <laughs> uh, where's the monitor? Yeah. Oh, no, it's the same It's the same mix as the main. Is this surround sound? It's not a home stereo. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, definitely be cool to your sound guy. Um, I, I, have lo- the, I have the theory that everyone who wants to be you know, involved in doing live music. If you're going to be in a band or do anything else, you should run sound every now and then. Yeah. Like in some way at some kind of event or venue or like learn what it is to run sound for a Even show. Basically like, I, I mean, I can't, I, I was having this discussion with some guys recently. Um, I don't know a ton about running sound. I, sure. People are trying to be like, Oh, well what com- compressor mix are you running? Like, what are you doing for like phase issues and whatever? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I just fixed uh, the bad sound. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, but I can turn a few EQ knobs here and there and like, you can troubleshoot. I can balance stuff. Like, yeah. I just don't ask me to compress anything. Sure, sure. Um, but, uh, you know, there's definitely, like, there's very simple things. 
I'm not saying there's not bad sound men because we had a sound guy once who was like, oh, you don't have anywhere to put the mic on your kick drum. Well, I got this knife here. <laughs> and we're like, dude, this is a freaking 40-year-old kick drum. You're not putting a knife through anything. Yeah. Like, oh, it's going to sound like a trash can. Well, that's okay. We, we like kinda, trash cans. We kind of sound like a trash can band. So <laughs> uh, that's cool. Um, but, you know, so you, you definitely have know-it-all sound guys. But... I found that the sound guys that know that really like know what they're doing are super chill guys. Yeah, pretty who, humble. Who will give you like a hundred percent of what they know as long as you're chill. Right. And if there's a point where the sound won't get any better, yeah, it's because of a venue limitation. It's not because your sound guy doesn't know what he's doing. Sure, totally. Uh, I mean, we've had we had a few different sound guys at the different epicenter shows we had. And sometimes we played the epicenter and it would sound incredible. Yeah. And other times we would play there and it would sound like garbage and it was just different sound men. Oh, absolutely. So, oh, sound men can make a world of difference, which is all oh, I understand. Some people want to bring their friend in, but usually that's has nothing yeah. to do with that. Yeah, actual unless sound. your friend actually runs sound at another venue, like on a regular basis, they, totally. They're probably not. Your best, your best uh, scenario with a friend thing is if your friend runs sound at the venue that you're playing at, right? And right. You, you'd be like, oh, I don't want the other guy. I want my friend to work that night. You know. Yeah. yeah. Your best bet with bringing your friend in is, I don't know. Their best bet for having a friend on the soundboard is to make the sound guy your friend. There you go. <laughs> Problem solved. Uh, Buy him a drink or something. Other stage etiquette stuff. Get on and off the stage as fast as you freaking can. Freaking dilly dally. Uh, The that was the worst. Like uh, when the when some band would you know get done with their set and decide to have a party on stage with their friends. Yeah, hanging out like talking and stuff. Or uh, you know, as soon as the set's over, nothing screams. I'm a high schooler who doesn't know what I'm doing more to me than uh, when you finish your set, the first thing you want to do is like hang out with your friends. Yeah. And you just leave all your gear up there. And it's you're not like, your garage, and dude. And you're like the opening act. Yeah. And it's like, dude, like other bands have to play. Like get your stuff down. You, you're, There's four more bands after you, so you're going to have at least two hours to chill with your homies. Yeah, no kidding. And your peeps. Well, where do I put my stuff? I don't know. Where did you, where'd you get it from? Uh, one thing... Uh, now we ran really simple setups with yeah. your favorite band, not no effects or anything. Even with the morning glass, we got on and off pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, one thing that helps a ton. Um, once you, if you're if you are one of like a bass player and you can get your stuff down really fast. Uh-huh. After you get your stuff down, like help other people. go help other people. Yeah. Um, drums always takes time. If you if there is a space to do it in. Don't break your drums down on stage. Right, totally. Like, we would pull cymbal stands with the cymbals in place still. We'd pull all that off stage so the next guy can... Or at least, if we weren't pulling it off stage, we were... Once I got my bass equipment off, yeah. we'd put the drums where my bass equipment was so the next drummer can start putting his drums yeah, on get the, out of the way. Get his stuff on the riser. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, the next band is going to take 10, 15 minutes to sound check. You've got all that time to get all of your stuff fully torn yeah, down, totally. and then you can and enjoy set, the rest of the bands. For the most part, set your drums up before you go on, too. Yeah. That's what everything you can. You know, every band that I've been in, the drummer gets their stuff basically set up before that we get on stage, unless you're backlining. But the, most of the time, you're not doing that at small yeah. venues. You set your stuff up, 
you grab it when it's your time and you put it all up there. Your symbol stands are already set up. Your kicks already set up and you're just moving it, you know, yeah. instead of pulling stuff out of cases. I think a lot of times bands that have really slow setups, I don't want to say they're selfish because I think that's making like that. They're inconsiderate. They're, it's inconsiderate. And I think a lot of times it's just something that is thoughtless. They're unconsiderate. Like mm. they just haven't it, thoughtless is perfect. Yeah. They just haven't thought about it. They don't think about like the full flow of a show. Yeah, totally. They don't think about the fact that like, yeah, you're playing a show for your fans. But part of playing a show is that you want to get more fans. Yeah, totally. And so if you're, if you are like, if you take 20 minutes to set up, all of the fans from the band before you have left already. Yeah, totally. Whereas if you can, if the band that's setting up, you're rushing the band that you're following. Yeah, you're going to, you're going to keep those people. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'm going to say, though, I wasn't the best at it because sometimes it's just hard is if whenever possible, like stay for the, all the other bands or at least like oh, yeah. s- have somebody from your band who can stay for all, sure. of, all of the other bands. Or have a really good excuse. Yeah. Like, oh, I've got a baby at home. Then yeah. you can leave whenever you want. Yeah. Right? There you go. <laughs> um, and, you know, you want to encourage your, your fans to stay if, yeah. if they can and and whatever. And, and that's just how it is. And, and I don't know if it's changed in San Diego, but I know used to, you know, headliner, what's the worst spot to have? Yeah. Playing last is just playing last most yeah, of the time. You're not really headlining. You're just playing last. Yeah. And I've definitely been to a lot of shows where the last band was the best band, but nobody was there. Uh-huh. Totally. All right. I mean, unless unless you're actually like a touring famous act. Yeah. You know, last band is just last. Yeah. When we did the park gallery, we always tried to sandwich touring bands in between, like oh, yeah. whoever the locals were, because we that would all usually give them the most exposure. Absolutely. So I think we're going to wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, we've got a great song to play yeah, here. Yeah. It's from the band Tarantula Head. Who, what's the name of the guy? Uh, Sean something. Sean M. Sean, Sean, Sean M. something. Thanks for the song, Sean yeah, something. This song's called Fiverr's Lament. Yeah, this thing sounds rad. Yeah. We, um, need, we need more aggressive kind of like heavy songs. We get a lot of you singer-songwriters. We get a lot of you, uh, you know, making really pretty stuff kind of guys. And we like that too. But we need some, uh, we need some heavy stuff. Yeah, so this is what he says. Um the band is called Tarantula Head. Uh, this song is called Fiverr's Lament. It's from their EP, The Deer Council, which is free on Bandcamp, uh, tarantulahead.bandcamp.com. The uh, left channel is an early 90s Ibanez RG with a 550 neck on a 560 body, a V2 pickup in the bridge, and a DeMarcio chopper in the neck, stock S1 single coil in the middle, and the original Ibanez Edge. Floyd style tremolo. Ah. The right channel is an Aria Pro 2 in a Zuma V with a single Duncan JB. Uh, it has a lightning bolt across the body, which you can hear clearly. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, he said he got this guitar for 35 bucks at a thrift store nice. and, then, and then added the pickup. Nice. Um, I don't know which one the Inazuma V is, but Aria Pro Two for thirty-five bucks. Sign yeah. me up. Yeah, all day uh, long. The Ibanez was one twenty-five on Vancouver's Craigslist. Both of these are Japanese guitars. Uh, the amp is um, the Mesa Boogie F fifty. Uh, the dirt is the Mesa's Drive Channel or a combination of a Zoom PD zero one, which was back from when Zoom was doing these single effects. They were supposed to be really rare, but or really good. 
but I don't think they really took off. Yeah, they didn't. I barely remember them. I'll have to do some homework on that. Um, so he said it's a combination of the PD-01, uh, as well as the amazing and criminally underrated Boss OD-3, a memory toy for delay, and the EHX Micro Qtron for the Ottawa. Nice. And again, if you want to check this band out, uh, this is uh, Sean, and uh, the website is tarantulahead.bandcamp.com. Cool. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. We really like this song. Yeah. I mean, we only listened to about 45 seconds of it, but we really liked those 45 seconds. Yes. Uh, so see you next week for episode 52, Steve. See ya. See ya.